Good morning and welcome. Good to see you all. Was, um, somebody was clapping along then for a little bit, which was extra special. Good start to the year. I didn't start it myself. It's good to see you all. Um, and it's our first Sunday back together. It feels like a long time, doesn't it? Is it just me? It feels like we haven't been together for ages. And I think, yeah, not since last year. And um, I think it's still fine for me to say Happy New Year at this point. That's good, isn't it? If you're new to us, if you're a guest this morning, we'd love to give you a welcome pack. There's usually a um, bar of chocolate in the welcome pack, but we've actually replaced them with um, a subscription to Slimming World for January. Um, <laughs> no, you're right, you're right. There is chocolate in there still. Uh, we are really excited about this morning. We are um, going to be worshipping the living God together, aren't we? It's so good to be together again. Um, we're going to be in his presence and looking at the vision for a church family in 2023. I'm going to ask um, Jeremy to come and share a reading which we'd love to bring together this morning. Uh, so it's a reading from uh, Isaiah 43 verses 1 and verses 19. And now, says the Lord, he who created you, Jacob... Who formed you, Israel? Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And uh, verse 19. Look, I am doing something new. Now it emerges. Can you not see it? Yes, I am making a road in the desert and rivers in the wastelands. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great to have that reading, a slightly different version. It feels a little bit less familiar, doesn't it? But a great way to be kicking off this year. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you're God of our yesterday. You're God of our history. You're also the God of today and tomorrow. And more than anything, this, uh, more than any New Year's resolution, any grand idea we might have, you are the God of our future, Lord. You've got something great lined up for this, us this year. Lord, we pray that this morning you would come and meet with us. Lord, we pray that these things that we're sharing, we'd get hold of them, that your Holy Spirit be at work in us today, that we would know you speaking to us, encouraging us. Amen. Now, one of the things um, Matt's going to share later is about us growing in our desire to worship. This is our Vision Sunday, um, and we are really looking forward to what Matt's going to be sharing later on. I've, I've had a little sneak peek at his notes, and I'm genuinely really excited about what he's got hold of from God for us as a church. And we're going to spend a few minutes first um, just thinking about the difference between vision and values for us as a church. Uh, then we're going to be making some gingerbread men or, or decorating some gingerbread men. And, uh, oh, and focus on three values we have as a church. And so not just making gingerbread men, but actually thinking about values and vision. So what's the difference between values and vision? Uh, if you've ever been to a, a welcome meal, give me a wave if you've been to a welcome meal. Anyway, that's quite, that's quite a few of us. That's good. Okay, I'm going to test you. No, if you've been to a welcome meal, hopefully you'll recognize this slide. <clears throat> and I've got a bit of a confession. It was only, I've done quite a few welcome meals. It was only at the last one that I realized what one of these pictures means that you can see on this slide. Okay, I understand the principles, but it's only that one. So we're going to look at that together. So no worries if you've missed it, if you've been to a welcome meal, that's completely fine. So there are three values we have as a church, which we'll be looking at in a moment. They are fixed and rooted in the Bible. They're like the foundations for a building. You see the foundations in that picture on the left. Good, see, that helped me. Um, our vision, which we build on the values, could always change. So that's why there are loads of different houses there, different buildings. See, I get it now. That was the bit I was missing. There's loads of houses. So actually, our values are fixed, but actually our vision could change. 
And we love being a church that tries different things, a bit like the Apostle Paul, who's always pushing different doors. Not everything always um, came to fruition, but he would push doors. So um, this might be new to some of us, if we could have the next slide. But hopefully most of us will recognize these three values. And you can see there that we've got disciple-making, church planting, and world-reaching. Each of those is fixed in scripture. Uh, we didn't just make them up because we thought they sounded good, because they don't sound that amazing, do they? If you're marketing, Matt might disagree, but he, he likes those. But actually, they're really rooted in scripture. So some examples show how values are fixed, but vision can change. Uh, we already have some really great ways that we're connected with the community, don't we? You can think of things. Yesterday, there's the runners out again doing the community run. There's so many ways we're connected. But what about, say, in 2023, just an example, we got hold of the vision of, say, doing a um, debt counselling course, something like that, for, for a year. And we said, OK, we're going to do that for a year. And it went really well. We did the debt counselling course. But after a year, we stopped doing it because, actually, it had run its time. That wouldn't mean that we'd lost our values, would it? Our value would still be there. We still want to be disciple-making. We still want to be showing love to God's people. But the vision might change. We might come up with something new. God would show us something new. And that does happen a lot in our church, which is encouraging. Wouldn't it be great if each of us could get vision for something, hear from God based on those values? Another example, when it comes to church planting... There have already been a few ideas around what it might look like for us to plant a church somewhere, some exciting ideas. And if one of those ideas doesn't work out, it doesn't mean we stop looking. It doesn't say, oh, we're going to give up on church planting. Actually, we've got a heart for it. And we go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, where do you want us to be next? And we've got to be completely open to him, haven't we? And it's no good us coming up with a great idea of what we could do. We want to hear from God. So hopefully you get the picture. Um, some, same would apply when it comes to being a world-reaching church. I'm always a, a little bit aware that world-reaching could sound a bit grandiose, but really it's not. It's about partnering with people in different nations. And um, I, I really love it that it isn't us helping another nation. The truth is we learn from them, they learn from us, and we share and grow together. Now, some of you will remember from our Vision Sunday last year that Matt asked us all to choose a nation to pray for through 2022. Anyone remember that? Should I say put your hand up? Go on, stick your hand up if you've been praying. You don't have to lie if you've not managed it. But if you've been praying for somewhere all year, that's fantastic. There's a handful. And you know what? Some of these things, we don't always manage to stick with them. But let's go for it. Let's, let's take hold of something and go for it. How about this year? We step it up a little bit. I wonder if there's a nation God puts on your heart that we're connected with. What about thinking about a visit this year? I'm not saying that flippantly. What about if there's somewhere you would love to go and visit? I'm looking at Catherine, who's been off last year. There's, there's been some good things, and there's no reason why you couldn't go and visit another nation and actually get to share something with them and get to learn something from them. Let's keep the momentum going as we're a world-reaching church. Okay, so the next slide. So the start of this year, I'm going to think a little bit about our first value, uh, being a disciple-making church. And I've actually got some gingerbread men to come and help me. Um, and, and they'd look a little bit boring as they are. I don't know if you've ever looked at a gingerbread man. Bit boring, yeah? Bit plain. So what I thought would be really good is actually if I could get a few people, starting with the elders and the vice elders. Sorry, I didn't warn you, Mike. Um, I'd like you to come and help me to just decorate these gingerbread men this morning, okay? 
So let's have a, have a little look. How this, this team really are straight in on it. They're, they've got some smiles going already. So I was thinking about gingerbread men. It's, uh, if I go too near that speaker, we're going to squeak, aren't we? How far can I go? So all of these gingerbread men, they, they could look the same. But why, why do they look the same? Anybody think, why do the gingerbread men all look the same? All the same shape. And why are they all the same shape? They were cut, they were molded, weren't they? They were cut with a shape. And now I was thinking, I don't know if anybody else reflects a lot on gingerbread men, but, you know, I spend a bit of my time doing that. And I was, um, <laughs> I was thinking about gingerbread men and how, as a church, actually, when we think about disciple-making, what we're thinking about is becoming more like Jesus. It's quite simple, isn't it? How do we become more like Jesus? And we all want to be molded to be that shape not a gingerbread man shape, but we want to be a shape which looks like Jesus. Every, every single one of us, that is what we're going for. We want to look like him. Yeah, the, the thing is, what I really, really love is that actually we are all trying to be molded. We all want to look like Jesus, don't we? We really do. And, you know, and that's not easy, is it? Being honest. We, but he does help us in that. He helps us with it. But the thing is as well that we are all different, aren't we? We've all got different characteristics. We've all got a different level of social battery when we kind of run out and we can't do any more. Yeah, we, we can all cope with different things. And we've all got different gifting from God, haven't we? We are all so different. And so we look like Jesus. Keep going, Neil. We look like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. But I love it that as a church, we are all so different as well. Come on, Fliss. Hold this one up for us. Oh, that's good. Let's see. Hold a few more up. Rupert. <laughs> good do you want to show that to everyone Rupert oh they've glued this together here like is, is that for a reason there you go Chris always because we're a united church hold that one up high for us there we are all stuck together I'm not sure about Jeremy I know Jeremy and Mike Jeremy in particular was really looking forward to this weren't you you love decorating do you do this a lot no uh, <laughs> okay show everyone one of yours Jeremy Please clap him. Please clap him. <laughs> a few from this side. Okay, guys, let's hold these up. What does this one say? Um, South, South Africa. South Africa. <laughs> I, thought, I, still, I still thought you were on South Ampton. <laughs> South. Um, because there's lots of bad stuff happening over there, and I find it quite unfair how we're... Here, and then they're struggling over there. Yeah, it's good to be seeing those things, isn't it? It's good to be really aware, and I love it, that God puts people on our hearts. He really does. Okay, let's one more on this table. Let's have a look over here, Jonathan. Come on, let's have a look. Has he got a name? Jeff. 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 Okay, hold Jeff up. Have a clap. Hey, okay. You can take those, and you can eat them at your leisure. But we really are so different, aren't we? We're so different. Just one example of being disciples together. We would love to see us serving one another as a church more this year. This is such a key part of our discipleship. Uh, we need to serve more for each other on a Sunday. Things like chairs, welcoming, preparing communion. Uh, would you be ready to serve this year as we, as we become disciples of Jesus more and more? There's a bit of a danger in church that we always think that somebody else is going to do it or that the same person will do it for 50 years or something. That's the worst, isn't it? And um, as Dave would say, the thing is not always the thing. That sounds strange, doesn't it? It's a very much a Davism. 
but helping by bringing the communion bread. Nobody gets excited about going to Tesco's ever um, but, and, and buying bread. But that's not the thing. The thing is we get to serve our family and help us share in this incredible meal of communion. It's great when we all get involved. And I've seen um, kids helping fill communion cups before now. I've seen people in their 70s putting out chairs and putting away chairs. Uh, I've seen youth helping out with kids' work. And there's such a buzz in this place when we're really serving each other well. So I encourage us this year, how can we serve each other? How can we get involved? There's also a flow to our three values. Um, Disciple-making comes first for a reason. So disciple-making, church planting, world reaching. There's There's a quote which I really like which says, if you try to build a church... You sometimes do it. If you make disciples, you will always get the church. And if we're growing as disciples ourselves and seeing new people become disciples, church planting naturally flows from that. Actually wanting to connect with other people further across the world, it happens naturally because we're closer to God. We're already really blessed to be thinking about how we uh, might find a new space this year uh, for, for us as a congregation. It's lovely to be full, isn't it? It's lovely that God's blessing us. The idea of two services or, or maybe planting a congregation back into the chapel. Uh, these are exciting thoughts for our year ahead. Okay. All right. I want to share five things this morning that we see on this Emmaus Road passage that I believe God wants to say to us as a church family which just as a by the way, I feel as privileged today as I did five years ago um, to be part of this church family. I love it. It's good, isn't it, when you have a break from um, church or from family, when you step back, you realize just how much you love the thing that you're part of. All right, so just a little bit of context before um, Linda comes and reads the passage. Jesus had died, he'd risen. This was the first Easter Sunday, Um, but the people that we're going to hear about um, in Luke 24, they don't know that yet. They're heading northwest out of Jerusalem towards Emmaus, small town seven miles away. One of these two was Cleopas. We don't know the second one. Um, It's a masculine noun used in the Greek, um, but the word could refer to a couple. So we're not completely sure. Um, Since they shared a home, um, some commentators, they speculate um, that it was their home, that they were husband and wife. But actually, we don't know. What we do know is that there is an awakening that happens in these two, that I think reflects something of God's heart for you and the person next to you and me and my kids and my wife and keep on going. So have a quick look around. Imagine the group of people that we do church family with more awake to Christ, more awake to the love of God and what it means in the world. Linda. Okay, so the reading is from Luke 24, and it's from verse 13 through to 35, on the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we were talking on the road and opening the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Thanks, Linda. Awakening to God, I would argue, is essential in our rationalistic culture um, with this often negative um, opposition towards faith in God, constantly telling us, really, that being awake looks like leaving God. That's quite often the message that we hear. Actually, the truth is the very opposite. The times that we are most awake in our lives are the times that we are most awake to God. So what might a year for us as a church family look like if we are waking up more to the reality of who God is and what he's able to do? I want to give you five things. It's not exhaustive by any stretch, but it's five things that I've just kind of been circling back to and praying about in this last month. And it's five things that look like an outworking of being a disciple-making, church-planting, world-reaching church. So first one, and I want to encourage you as we go, just to ask the Holy Spirit, is there one of these in particular, maybe one or two, that he just wants you to get hold of? Um, today to set you up for this year ahead. First one is this. I believe God wants to awaken the weary. As this couple begin their journey, we read on verse 17 that their faces were downcast. But more telling than that is verse 21. There's this expression, they say, we had hoped. They'd not hoped for a suffering Messiah. They'd hoped for a Moses figure who would come and get victory and justice for Jerusalem. How do we know this? Well, the passage is loaded with Moses' imagery. If you're taking notes, uh, the verse that stands out is verse 19. They talk about a prophet, powerful in word and deed. And it's a reference back to Deuteronomy 18.15, that someday God would raise up somebody from among us like a Moses figure. We had hoped. Past tense. They're doing what we often do in difficult times, and many of us have been through difficult times. We look back, and we allow our eyes to stay on the looking back. But what happens? They're looking back to history, 
but they're awoken by a present-day Jesus walking with them. And I believe that's something of God's heart for many of us in our church. I love this picture. Just get hold of this with me. Whilst they're walking away from Jesus, he's walking after them. Jesus, who said, come follow me, takes the time to follow after them to this obscure village that we would never have heard of if it hadn't been for the kindness in Jesus' heart that says, I want to see you wake up again. It's a picture that says, it's not over. There's more to see. I wonder if you need to hear that in your heart, in your mind, in your Monday, in your tomorrow. It's not over. There's more for you to see. It's not just an age thing, though it can be as somebody who has been feeling my age a little bit in the last few months. It's fine. If you're over 65 here this morning, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. But let me say this to you respectfully and prayerfully. We need you more awake to Jesus than ever before. Because the days that we're living in, they're not getting any easier, are they? They're getting harder, aren't they? We need you awake to push against the culture that says the older you are, the less qualified you are. It's just not true, not in kingdom terms. We need you to be like Moses or like Joshua and Caleb spying out the land. We need you to be like my friend in um, Cairo, who at the age 70, brother Yusuf, got alongside a mullah, took him out for coffee, shared his faith with him, led him to the Lord. And do you know what he said? A week after when I met him, he said this. He said, I feel the youngest I felt since I was 21. Because he was coming alive in Christ. We need you to model what it is to be a disciple. How to share your faith with somebody that doesn't follow Jesus yet. How to deal with temptation. How to be accountable. How to confess your sin. How to show your gifts to us, but that they're growing. Yes, we can be physically tired. That's completely okay. That's part of this beautiful, wonderful, messy thing called life. But in our spirits... If you're over 65 in 2023, we need you more awake in Christ than ever. It's not getting easier to follow Jesus, and we need you. For some, it's not about age. Weariness, it comes from circumstance and disappointment that we've lived through in recent months and years. You've not seen the thing that you longed for. Like the couple on the road, we could say that phrase, we had hoped. If that's you... I believe passionately God wants to awaken inside of you a hope that is based on who he says he is. You've heard me say it many times before, but I think it's so important that we can look at the thing that wasn't, it didn't turn out how we intended it to. It's not what it, we'd love it to be yet. And we say, hold on a second, that's not the end of the story. Why? Because God's capacity to redeem is greater than the enemy's capacity to harm. We've got a God who says, would you trust me with the things that are most painful and allow me to do something that doesn't just remove them, it actually makes them the most beautiful part of your story this year. Lord, would you awaken us from weariness wherever it's sourced. Next, you know, we see Jesus doing something I think is fascinating. You see, he doesn't say to these guys, it's okay, I'm here. Stop your worrying, everybody. What does he do? He gets them looking at Scripture which they knew well. They were good Jewish people. But this time it's different. Let me read to you from verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And later, as they reflect back on this in verse 32, um, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked? I don't know about you, I don't know what the best Bible study that you've ever been in was, but these guys got the best Bible study, right? This journey, seven miles walking with Jesus as he explains the scriptures. Jesus himself unpacking it. But here's the thing, and I want us to get hold of this. This is exactly what the Spirit of God wants to do with us today. To unpack the scriptures with us. Not just to leave as information, but to bring it into that space where it transforms our lives. Let's make the next three minutes a completely guilt-free zone. Agreed? Just turn to the person next to you and say, this is guilt-free. Okay, second thing where I believe God wants to awaken us is to awaken us to our love for his word. There's a profound difference between knowing something and believing something. These guys, they knew the scripture. as so they could have quoted the scripture back to Jesus. The problem wasn't the knowing, it was the believing. And a Jewish understanding of believing meant that you only believed it when you saw it, when you did it. You got your hands around it, you lived with it. James captures it well, James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's why some of the most exciting places on the planet Earth right now are places where people don't just do Bible study. They get hold of the word to God, God together. They say, Holy Spirit, what are you showing us? Then what do they do? They go and see if it works. What do they do when they come back together the next week? What's the first question? Did it work? Does scripture do what it says on the tin? And lo and behold, it really does. We're living in days of increasing biblical illiteracy where Christians live on a diet of Sunday mornings and not much else. Please hear me, it's not enough. We've got to break that mold. We've got to break that decline that we're seeing. Don't get me wrong, I love our Sunday morning teachings. And in the coming months, I'm really excited. I'm 6Ms, digging into the book of Colossians. We're going to be unpacking the book of Amos in the next few months, a series on Amos, and there's other things that we're praying into. We're really, really excited about that. You can see some of the speakers that we've got lined up there. But God's word is bigger than a Sunday morning. In a world where the average person hears 200,000 words a week, we need to be smart enough to carve out time in our lives to say, the word of God has got to come alive. I need to do what these guys did on the road. I need to say, Jesus, would you come and unpack scripture for me? It's interesting. Over Christmas, I've been looking at research on emerging church movements around the world right now. The top trait in competency, this is the worst picture. I just took it out of the bit of research that I was reading. Um, listed by the 31, leaders of the 31 movements globally. It's interesting. It's a confidence in the Bible. That's what they specify as being the most important thing that we're seeing where there are emerging movements around the world. Timothy Keller says it well. He says, if Jesus didn't think he could live life well without knowing the scriptures, why would we? So how do we create the right environment where Jesus is able to unpack the scriptures with us like he did with the two on the road, where our hearts burn inside of us. How do we do it? Here's a handful of ideas really, really quickly. See if one of these grabs you. Maybe it's grabbed you already. Lectio 365, daily Bible readings. The Bible in a year. There's all sorts of versions for women, for men, for caravanners, for you know, everything you can think of. Bible in a year. House groups. 
Be there. Dig in with others. The Word of God. We're going to come back to that a bit more in a moment. Bible art. Anybody got a Bible art book? Becca has got one for sure. A few, yeah, a handful of you. Actually start to record in a creative way. What is it that God is saying to you? Listen um, to work as you're driving. Listen on the way to work. Um, stick it on. Get an audio vo- version of Scripture. The Glorify app. Where's Roxy? Roxy showed me this um, on Wednesday night um, when we were planning for... Uh, dino charges. I've done it three days in a row. Roxy, it's great, isn't it? Really, really good. Fantastic app. Get your hands on that. You can download it for free. Watch The Chosen. Um, my kids got me into this. I was like, what? Another Jesus film? Do we really need another Jesus film? Turns out we do. It's absolutely fantastic. And what it does, it points you back towards Scripture. It's so true to the essence of the Gospels and who Jesus is. Let it grow your hunger for the gospel. Just to say, VeggieTales doesn't count. <laughs> Just to be clear. Copy Ruth Rice, um, who heads up the Renew Wellbeing that we, we do. I was there on Wednesday. It's fantastic. Um, during lockdown, I did what she recommended. Get yourself a big cup of coffee and sit with one psalm. And just give yourself time to read that psalm. Whatever it is, allow Jesus to do what he did with the two on the road. The Emmaus Road story begins with an awakening to God's word, where it burns in their hearts as Jesus brings it to life. He wants to do exactly the same in your life this year. I believe that. Lord, would you awaken a love for your word? So, with this happening, they urge him to stay. They say, don't, don't go. We, we'd love you to come for a meal. Spend the evening with us. And I find this really interesting. Look at when their eyes are opened in this passage from verse 28. Just look at this. For speed, I'm going to jump to verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. There's an awakening that happens when we are together, where two or more are gathered. We don't get to decide whether we like it or not. That's just what Scripture says. When we're together, we see more of God. Just say it to the person next to you. When we're together, we see more of God. So the third thing is this. I believe God wants to awaken us to one another. I read recently a commentator who said, every time you see Jesus in the book of Luke, he's either at a meal, going to a meal, or leaving a meal. I like that. Another um, guy said, it's impossible to read the New Testament without getting hungry. (laughs) It's telling that post-resurrection, Jesus appeared to over 500 people, and the vast majority of the times he appeared to them It wasn't to individuals. It was to twos and to threes and to twelves. There's three words in this part of the passage that stand out. Stay with us. COVID did something evil, didn't it? More than one thing. 6.6 million people killed. But beyond the avalanche of mental health issues that we're going to be dealing with for decades to come, it made it more normal to be lonely. I think it's the worst thing it did. If you like, it normalized loneliness. And in this hyper-individualistic world, we've believed this lie that Taylor Swift um, has included on a new album, which is very good. But you're on your own, kid. Anybody into the new Taylor Swift album? Some of you are despairing of me right now, aren't you? (laughs) You're on your own, kid. It's not true. It's a lie. It's not how we're made. Right back at the beginning... How did the enemy get Adam and Eve to believe what he was about to say? 
It's interesting. Before he said a word, before a word came out of the enemy's mouth, what did he do? He looked for a moment when they were separate and goes to Eve. And just to say, this is not about a men and women thing. He could just as easily have gone to the man, to Adam. He separates them out and then begins to speak. And he does the same today. How do we fight back? We go in the opposite spirit. Like all spiritual warfare, we say we're going to have to do a bit more of the opposite of that. When the enemy says, you're on the outside, you don't belong, we need to say that is a lie. We remind ourselves that we're one church community that stand together. That when it goes well, it goes well together. And when it's a bad day, it's a bad day together. When we get it right, praise God, when we get it wrong, which we will, we're going to, get, we're going to make mistakes this year, aren't we? We'll make loads of them, but we do it together. We're on the same team. I'm not going to keep on doing this, but just turn to the person next to you, or maybe behind you, and just say, we're on the same team, nice and loud. Okay, now I want you to shout it to somebody, find eye contact with somebody that you didn't choose to sit next to, that you don't know that well, and say, we're on the same team. So what does it look like? What does it look like to come awake to one another this year. Just a few ideas. You'll think of others. Those of you with gifts of hospitality, please use it. Get your diary out today. Invite somebody over. Shall I tell you a conversation I've had way too many times in the last six months? I've stopped inviting people over to my house. And then the conversation carries on. Hebron Hall, our church weekend away, 16th to the 18th of June. Book in. It's going to be great just to be together. Our winter shared meals, 22nd of January. That's the next one where we just invite people in. Do you remember last year we talked about being around a campfire, God's people, but with space for others to come and join us. It's why the chapel project um, needs to become something where hospitality is right at the heart of it with a new kitchen and decent heating and comfortable chairs, right? Where we can invite people in. It's a good place to be. I'd love to have Luke 24, 29 somewhere in the chapel when we do this project that says, stay with us. Wouldn't that be good? Just somewhere around the chapel. Lastly, if you're part of a house group already, please make it priority. Make it priority. If you're not part of a house group, where in this church we believe that's just as important as coming along on a Sunday, join a house group in January. I promise you, you will, you will not regret it. By the time you get to the summer, you'll be glad you've done it. Space where we love God more, where we love each other more, and we love those who don't know Jesus more. As Jesus takes the bread and breaks it and shares it, yes, it is a picture of his body being broken, but it's also a picture of unity, of one loaf. We're on the same team, his team. Lord, awaken us to one another this year. Now, often this is where the story ends, right? That's the end of the Emmaus Road. But actually, that's not accurate at all. I want us to see just a couple of crucial things. The fourth thing is this. God wants to awaken in us a passion for the good news. You thought I was going to say turn to the person next to you, didn't you? I'm not going to. Look what happens when their eyes are opened to Scripture. Then their eyes were open. They recognize him. He disappears from their sight. They ask each other, "Were not our hearts burst at burning. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. This is interesting. As the sun's going down, as the road is becoming dangerous, those seven miles back to Jerusalem, you don't want to do that for fun. That's a dangerous place to be. They head back. Why? Why did they do it? Because that's where Jesus is. 
That's where Jesus is going to pour out his spirit. That's where the action is going to be. They didn't say, let's stay here and start Emmaus Road Baptist Church. They got it. We need to be where Jesus is. Something you're going to hear repeatedly this year is this foundational biblical truth. God is already at work in our existing worlds, in your tomorrow. God is already there in people that haven't given their lives to Jesus, but he's there at work in their hearts when they go to bed at night, when they're thinking through what this year means, when they're struggling, when they're longing for things to be different than they are. God is already there. We just need to find out where and get involved. Our mission isn't to Bible bash people. Please hear that. Or to be that annoying Christian. You know that there's some annoying Christians, right? None in this church, obviously. Why don't you just point to the annoying... No, don't do that. But we don't want to be that annoying Christian whose faith is measured by what we're angry about. We want to be those believers who look at others and we see something of what God loves about them. We see what God is doing in their lives. We're looking for it. We're looking for what God is already doing. So as well as our own front lines, and we're going to be looking at a lot, that, that a lot this year, we've got some shared front lines. I'm going to give you just a few of these. Enfest this summer. Okay, I want a really, really big cheer that I'm going to try, to not to make, try for it not to make me cry. We get to do Enfest this year in person together. Should we give that a cheer? That was all right. That was all right. If we're at Dino Charges, we'd do that again, wouldn't we? And we'd threaten to wake, wake up the people over at the Dolphin Pub. Anyway, that's fine. We get to do it in person, 21st to 25th of August. Stick it in your diary. Wouldn't it be great if we were all there? Take a day off work, take a few days off work, join in the evenings, do whatever you can. Welton Runners, who was about at Welton Runners yesterday? It felt like all of us were there. It was so good, such a good atmosphere. Some people running, some people just eating cake and drinking coffee. Which one do you think was me? <laughs> that is rude. I could have been running. What's God going to do with Welton Runners this year? We would love to see it develop and for friendships to spin off. And there'd be people down at Spoons and going for a walk together and giving bits of testimony together. And maybe a group emerging from that that looks a little bit like what? Church. Wouldn't that be incredible? Food for thought. Gathering of seniors who are serious about discipleship and the gospel. They're not playing bingo together. They're hearing testimonies and stories and worshipping and great conversations over meals together. They're serious about discipleship. Creative space, this common third where you create something, whilst talking about it, you get to talk about your life and faith. This is just a snapshot. There's the Renew Wellbeing Cafe, which is incredible, such peaceful space. Welton Wanderers. One of the most exciting opportunities um, is our midweek kids groups and youth groups, where, get this, 70% of the children and youth are unchurched. A mission field right on our doorstep. I could go on and on about that. I'm not going to. Here's a good quote from Barclay. He says this, The Christian message is never fully ours until we have shared it with someone else. That's a good quote, isn't it? That applies to you and to me this year. You might think you're being a disciple. If you do not share your faith with somebody this year, I'm going to question that a little bit. Are you really following Jesus? We've got to recognize that we come alive, we come awake when we talk about who God is and what he does in our lives in a way that doesn't happen elsewhere. 
So these guys, they head back to Jerusalem. And I love the first thing that they do when they arrive. Verse 35, it says that they told everybody else what happened. And it meant telling them that they'd given up a bit as well. I love this. Testimony isn't about saying, hey, look how brilliant I am. Testimony is about saying, this is the kind of thing that God does. This is who our God is. Even when I'm a bit rubbish, God is faithful and kind and powerful and all these other things. Testimony is so important. It gives the glory to God, but also it tells a story, a bit of our story, that points to a bigger story. You know that every time you talk about Jesus in any way, a bit of an answer to prayer, something you're struggling with but you're trusting God for, anything at all, that's a bit of your story that you can't help. It just points towards the bigger story of God. That's why this year we're going to have regular times on Sunday mornings where we're going to have opportunity to share testimony. Here's something God's done. Here's something he hasn't done yet, but I'm trusting him. From the big stuff right the way through to the, the really small stuff. Okay, we're going to be brave. We're family. Forgive me if you're a guest and you're thinking, what are you doing? People think that all the time, so if you're a guest, get used to it. Put your hand up if you've not given testimony yet on a Sunday morning. Just put your hand up. Um, if you've not given a bit of testimony yet on a Sunday morning, don't be brave. I'm not going to get you to do anything now. Just put your hand up. Okay. I want to encourage you this year. You can put your hands down. I want to encourage you this year. What about just making a decision in your heart? Lord, if there's something you do, I'll be willing to share it with my church family because I want it to give glory to you. Lord, awaken a passion for the good news. Last one. Awaken us to the Spirit. If I was a Pentecostal preacher, I would say, amen, at that point, and you would say, okay, that was all right. It's a bit more at the front row, Thank Caroline especially, it's good. Once they arrive in Jerusalem, um, that's where we hear the last of them specifically, but crucially, um, we know because Dr. Luke takes the time to tell us that they're in the very place that the Holy Spirit is poured out and is poured onto the streets, and there's miracles and speaking in tongues, and people discover God in their thousands. Acts 2, we read it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, including Cleopas and his traveling partner. It doesn't actually say that in the Bible, but Dr. Luke has taken the trouble to tell us that they went back to Jerusalem, so we know that they were there. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's an understatement for you. I believe God wants to grow our hunger for his Holy Spirit in our church. To be people that say, oh, we can't actually do this without God. Rather than, we can probably do this without God just fine. I'm longing for us to be that church that more and more and more says it's just not going to work without the Holy Spirit. So where do we need to push in? Last couple of things and then we're going to worship for 10 or 15 minutes and just give some of this stuff to the Lord and just allow him to lead us. I believe when we pray together and when we worship together, there's not much more that terrifies the enemy. I think he is absolutely terrified when we gather to pray and we gather to worship. Why? Because we get a glimpse of what's possible with our God. Prayer is fascinating, right? Almost every prayer meeting that I've been to over the last 30 years, before I go, there's a reluctance. You're like thinking, you are so sinful. You're thinking that, aren't you? But just being honest. Nearly always, there's this reluctance inside of me. But here's the thing, matched by when I get there and I've prayed with you lot, I think, I loved being here. I'm so glad I was here. What was I thinking? Well, here's the answer to what I'm thinking. 
There's a battle that goes on around prayer. And we've just got to wise up and say the enemy does not want us to pray together. Because when we pray together, we glimpse what's possible with God. We know very little about what the disciples did. But we do know that when they gathered, what did they do? They prayed together. Here's an unashamed invite to come along and to pray at our monthly prayer room. Third Sunday, it's 45 minutes, but it's brilliant. 6.30 to 7.15 p.m. Or if you're free during the day, the second and fourth Wednesdays, 9.30, come for an hour at the chapel and pray. I believe God wants to grow our prophetic voice. And prophecy always, no exception, prophecy always begins in prayer. Prophecy says we need to see more than we can see by ourselves. So we can look at one another and we can look beyond the things that we know to what God is seeing and saying could be. So that we can do the same in our neighborhoods. So we can do the same in our nation and the nations. Lord, awaken us to prayer. Awaken us in worship, which maybe the band could just come back now because we're going to do that in a second. Let's be honest. When we think about our gathered times of worship... There is a real danger. Why? Because we're living in a consumer society. We are consumers. We find ourselves potentially behaving like consumers. In this Western world, we say this about customers. What do we say? The customer is always right. So if you're going shopping, you're going out for a meal, um, you're, whatever it may be, entertainment, restaurants, they are all based on my preference. Here's the ugly truth. That can spill into our church life. It can spill into our worship. And here's something I guarantee you. Every single person in this room will have a different preference when it comes to how we do gathered worship. The songs that we sing, the style, the frequency. Let me respectfully say this. Worship is bigger than your preference for how we do it. Bigger than my preference for how we do it. I've sat in an underground basement many times, uh, recently actually, underground basement with a bloke and an out-of-tune guitar with two strings missing, worshipping in a language that I don't understand what is being said, but when the presence of God is there, oh my goodness, when you choose to worship. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, I don't think anybody was talking about how many times they sang the same chorus. There was a, an authentic, a worshipping in spirit and truth. And I want to encourage us this year, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if as a church we said, we're going to choose to look beyond the screen words being a line behind, or Scott's guitar being out of tune, or the PA, I can't quite hear it in this corner. If we look beyond those things, say, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to choose every time we gather to worship. That's what we're going to do. Now, do we want to get those other bits right? Of course we do. We're going to make an effort, but it's not going to be everything because it's not a performance, is it? It's not Wembley Arena. We're family here to worship Jesus. So I want to encourage us in 2023, when it comes to our gathered worship, just make a decision. Just say, whatever is going on around me, I am choosing to worship Jesus because I want to be more awake to his Holy Spirit. Okay, that's me done. I went as fast as I could. Let's, um, let's pray. Let's stand together. Spirit of God, we thank you that you can bring us alive. You can awaken us in a way that no number of self-help books will ever do. 
And Lord, we just want to pray now. We want to pause at the beginning of this year of our church family life together. And we say, Lord, we can't do this without you. We need you to awaken us, our hearts, our minds, to look and see what's possible. And so I pray now, Spirit of God, those that need to be an awakening for the weary, come, Spirit of God, lift our eyes to you, to who you say you are, rather than what's been before, what we've seen. An awakening for the weary, where it's been a tough time. Just say in the name of Jesus, come, give us faith to say, okay, I choose to believe you again. And I pray, redeem, that your redemption looks so much more sweet and beautiful than whatever the enemy has tried to do. Lift our heads to you. Awaken us to your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Awaken us to one another, where we need to get hold of those 99 one another's in scripture and actually do it. Help us to do it, Lord Jesus, with our diaries, with our choices. Oh, Lord. And Father, in this world where people so need to to hear about a God who made them and loves them, possibly now more than ever, we say, God, would you give us a confidence? Would you awaken that in us? A love for good news. Not to be pushy, but to be passionate. And Spirit of God, awaken us to worship you, to love you, to fix our eyes on you and say, whatever else is going on around with my church family, I'm going to worship the living God. In Jesus' name. It's a real challenge to allow ourselves to be woken up because we can stay in a very complacent, comfortable place. You know, we're doing well. Things are going good here and we can stay here. But there's a real call this morning, a challenge for this year ahead to waken up and move forward. And the verses that came to me were from Hebrews that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, I, I, I want to say to God this morning, I want to throw off the stuff this year that would hinder me, the stuff that's bogged me down a bit, the stuff that I've just got comfortable in, and say, God, I want to run and I want to wake up. I'm going to pray that kind of for myself. But if that's on your heart as well, then let's pray it together as we go into this new year. Father, we thank you that that you pursue us. Just as we heard in that story on Emmaus, you pursued that couple and you pursue us. And Father, we want to spend the time stopping and looking to you. And Father, we want to ask, and I want to ask that you would waken me up, Lord, to where I've been asleep. Waken us up, Lord, to where we've become complacent, where we've sat where we said no that's okay we'll let somebody else do it father would you waken us up to how you've made us how you've created us what you've called us into and release us this year into more of what you would have for us father we want to say yes lord wake us up father and help us to move forward to run the race 
And Father, help us to recognize each other on the race, that we would encourage one another, that we would spur one another on, Lord, in you. In Jesus' name.